Welcome back to the Hottest Take Sports Podcast presented by Sip Sports. This is your host, John Ashgar, and today with me, I'm back with my co-host, Jack Vanamater. Glad to be back talking about the Indians today. What up, what up? And we also have a very special guest, our good friend, Ethan Heiss. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We always love talking sports with you, but especially the Indians. And today, like Jack said, that's our episode. We are going to be talking about the Francisco Lindor mega deal that the Indians just made. You can call it a mega deal if you want, but yeah, let's hop in, guys. So let's just start with an overview of this trade and like what really went down with the Indians. Yeah, so the Indians, obviously, everyone knows the, the trade's a couple a week or two old by now. It, Lindor and Carlos Carrasco are gone, no longer Cleveland Indians. Carrasco was a little surprising. Lindor, I think most people, most fans kind of knew that his days in Cleveland were coming to an end. Still doesn't make it any less painful to see. But the, the Indians were able to get some nice young pieces from from the Mets, nothing special. But Ahmed Rosario, um, Andres Jimenez, Josh Wolf, and Isaiah Green, all young players, and really kind of who are going to be the start of kind of a new era in Cleveland. Yeah, I guess not not too much to add right off the bat. Like, we got some good, I guess, guys who could potentially replace Francisco Lindor in the middle infield. You have Ahmed Rosario at shortstop, and Jimenez is kind of a utility guy like Kleber Torres. And then, uh, yeah, some real youngsters, and Josh Wolf, who's only 20, and Isaiah Green, who's only 19 years old. Yeah, and those guys are almost next to impossible to project when you're like looking at this, a 19-year-old coming into the MLB. So, I mean, it's, it's such a gamble, especially when you're trading away such a superstar like Lindor. But the Indians are headed in a new direction now, guys, and that direction is cutting payroll. So the Indians officially have the lowest payroll in the MLB at $23.5 million. And they're projecting it with some free agent signings, we're crossing our fingers, to be around... $35 million, but at $35 million, that would still be the lowest payroll in the entire MLB. Even the Pirates at this moment are at $40 million and they're the second lowest. I mean, I'm sure they'll project to be like $50, $55 million. so the Indians are really like at the lowest right now with this payroll. Yeah, the payroll was the biggest reason that Carrasco got moved. You know, he's 33 years old, $38 million left on his contract. The Indians aren't contending, really. I think it's fair to say, uh, after you move Lindor. So Carrasco was really a salary dump. He had some great years in Cleveland, but this was obviously, you know, a trade based on business and not emotion. Yeah, I think that that sums it up pretty well. This trade was definitely a big financial move. And uh, as someone who follows the Pirates and roots for the Pirates very closely, anytime you're in their company, it's not good. You don't want to be in the same boat. <laughs> as the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's it's really sad that this team was in the World Series just like four years ago and making deep playoff runs three years ago, and now the payroll is a fourth of what it once was. And it doesn't look like we're going to be able to re-sign most of the free agents we have up in the outfield, like Delano DeShields, Domingo Santana, Tyler Naquin. Uh, and we've already lost some other guys like Carlos Santana, and John's boy, Sandy Leon, who signed a $1.25 million deal with Miami. That's a heck of a signing for the Marlins. If they put a T out there on home plate for him, he might be able to hit over 100 <laughs> for them. But anyways, 
talking about the pieces that the Indians traded, Ethan, like you said, this was a full-on salary dump. And the thing is, a couple years ago, the Indians signed Carrasco to an extension. So they must have thought that their window was, one, either going to last longer, or two, that they would be able to retain his salary, and neither of those persisted. They traded him with, like Jack said, $38 million left on his contract. And in the third year of that uh, in that contract, they had a $3 million buyout, but I guess that wasn't worth it for the Indians. And, I mean, I hate seeing someone like Carrasco go, and it makes no sense why they would even sign him an extension to the point. So I'm just really hoping this team can get it together and the front office and ownership group can kind of just get on the same page. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super sad to see Carrasco go after kind of all he's been through with Cleveland. I mean, he's been on the team since 2009. He was fourth in Cy Young voting like three years ago, and he even like beat leukemia while he was with the team. So I'm sure that's like a lot emotionally for him and kind of other guys in the clubhouse and definitely in the city. Signing him seems like a good move still because a lot of his stuff is still there. Like his velo is faster than it used to be. His sinker hasn't really lost anything. Like his his walks are a little bit up. But yeah, I guess it's just truly a contract issue that we can't afford him right now. And that's why that's why he's gone. Because he means a lot to the city. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a good point. Like, I don't think the signing of Carrasco was bad. Obviously, you look at it and it didn't help us really win a, win a championship. But he was still he's still a very good pitcher. Even at 33, he still has his stuff. This shows that the Indians are obviously breaking it down. And Carrasco, obviously, yeah, he was a casualty to that. Yeah, so through this trade, obviously, you trade a superstar. You trade a homegrown hero in Carrasco. You drop all that money off and you pick up some extra prospects. So the Indians have been picking up a lot of prospects in the past couple seasons, trading away players like Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, and now star Francisco Lindor. And Let's go more in depth with these prospects, guys, that the Indians are building their farm system with now and even their MLB roster. The first big player that the Indians got was Ahmed Rosario. And Rosario is 25 years old. And he's hitting his fifth season in the MLB. Now, Rosario is a former top prospect, had a lot of hype coming into the MLB. He was Pipeline's number 11 ranked prospect in the entire MLB. And he was the number one player for the Mets in 2016. But it hasn't go went as planned for the Mets. He started off slow and just wasn't able to get it going hitting-wise. But back in 2019... He hit 287 with 15 home runs, so it looked really promising for him. But last season, in the shortened season, kind of dropped off, hitting 252 with four home runs. So he's had some trouble. The thing is, will the Indians be able to get him back to that 2019 form? Because if you do, you're getting a really, really good value in a shortstop there. Yeah, I mean, look, last season was weird. So obviously played played 60 games in that COVID season, and it was like... Weird stats all around. Obviously, we see Lindor had a, had a bad year. So take that for what it is. I think I, I kind of expect him to be sit somewhere in between those two numbers um, this upcoming season. Look, I don't know enough about Ahmed Rosario to make a, a full opinion, and I'll leave that to you too. But really, I mean, you, you, this is an upside play for the Indians. He's a young guy, obviously was the Mets' number one prospect in 2016. If you get him on the right track... Uh, he can fill that void that Lindor 
left, at least some of it, right? You're never going to completely replace a guy like Lindor, but um, ultimately a high upside play, low low risk. Um, I, I don't I don't hate it. Yeah, um, I'm not thrilled about acquiring Ahmed Rosario because I think what the Indians lineup needs most is hitting, and he can't really hit. Um, he's only had a positive career offensive war once in his five years or four years. Um, he's always made up for that with his fielding, which is great because Lindor is one of the best defenders in the league, and he'll be able to replace that to a degree, but the guy only gets on base like 30% of the time, which is an issue for a team that can't score runs and is an issue for him individually because he's really fast and steals a lot of bases. But you become Billy Hamilton, where if you can't get on base, you're not going to be able to steal bases to begin with. I think the defense is there, and he's obviously a talented dude. But I, just, I see it as a short-term replacement for Lindor until some of those guys be acquired from the Padres, like Gabriel Arias and uh, Owen Miller are really ready to go and give it a crack at the middle infield. Well, let, let me ask you a question, Ethan. How important do you think it is for the Indians to focus on things that are, are current problems? Because, like, look, the Indians have clearly shown that they're not they're not going for the title within the next few years. So, like, yeah, okay, hitting is definitely a problem, and it was a problem last year. Is that something that you know, you're super worried about the, like, yeah, it's not conducive to winning next year, but obviously the Indians don't care about that. Would you say like three years down the road, if, if, if that's still something you're looking at? No, you're, you're totally right. Um, in terms of like win now, we need hitting, but that's clearly not the goal here, which is why I think he'll just kind of bridge the gap until some of those yeah. young guys who are like, I think Arias was what the Padres like, number five prospect or number seven prospect at the time when we acquired him. I think he'll just kind of be there to mentor those guys along and fill in for now until when the team is ready to like make a title run again, go for it. I I think this acquiring of Rosario is more of a, you know what, this guy used to be really good. He just may need a change of scenery, you know? He may need a new organization to work with, he, the new city, and hey, like, so what? Like, it doesn't matter. We're not going to win right now. But if he does start playing well, then we're getting a good, a good prospect and someone that can help us for the years to come. The piece that I, I personally like the most in this trade is the next guy that we got, and that's Andre Jimenez. Jimenez is a... 22 year old and he's going into his second season in the MLB he hit 263 last year with three home runs and three doubles and 118 at bats and I just want to say real quick that I mean 263 is obviously not great and like Ethan said like we the Indians need guys who can hit for average and 263 really isn't for average but it was a tough year to debut as a rookie last year in a shortened absolutely weird season yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, I'll also add, like, he's not really a power guy. Obviously, you see three home runs. He's not, like, a guy that's going to hit a ton of home runs. But he is good at, like, okay, 263 doesn't show that. But I think he's a decent guy at, like, like I don't know, like, slapping the ball, right? Getting getting on base and slapping the ball. I don't have the stats on this. But, like, I agree. Like, in a weird season, 22 years old, first, first year, and a guy that's not hitting home runs, which is 
historically usually leads to better batting averages than those who do hit a ton of home runs. I don't, I think it's a decent piece to acquire, and he he plays shortstop, second base, and third base, so you can move him all around the diamond. I think it's a, a, another good pickup for the Indians. Yeah, I think like you you both mentioned, this is probably the piece of the trade that I'm the most excited about. The kid's only 22 years old, so he's obviously got like quite the future ahead of him. He's under contract for a while. The knock on him, like you mentioned, is he doesn't really hit dingers. Uh, in his 393 minor league games, he only hit 22 home runs, which is like not a lot at all. But he gets on base, and he's fast. He had a great prospect grade in that category. And I think he'll probably be Cesar Hernandez's replacement because we're probably not going to be able to to re-sign Cesar Hernandez. And if you look at that, like Hernandez slash 283, 355 on base, and 408. And if you take Jimenez's numbers from last year, 263, 333, 398, they're actually pretty comparable. He's just like kind of a, a slightly worse version of Cesar. And if he can get a little better, then he could fill that, fill that role nicely, I think. Not to mention, too, that in his long year in the MLB, he was a really good fielder. He only had uh, two errors, I think. So, I mean, it, it's hard to replace someone like Cesar, who was a gold glover last year, and it's hard to replace someone like Lindor, who had one error last year in the 60 games, which came in the last game of the season. So you get two guys that can field, and like we said numerous times, like the Indians obviously aren't trying to win this year, but a way that they can still compete and put together a good team is with good fundamentals and good fielding. If you're a bad team that can't hit and you're making errors, you're going to get smacked around every day. But if you can at least field and make those good plays, then your team's going to be able to compete a bit more than what it should be. Yeah, I like your comp of Cesar Hernandez, Ethan. Cesar is also 30 years old and is obviously a piece that's going to help you win now, which is not like we said multiple times, is not the Indians' goal right here. So it's kind of just a younger Cesar, which I think is great. And then to John's point, yeah, the Indians are clearly focused on defense and pitching. That's always kind of been their identity. And so I think they're continuing with that trend here with this, with this acquisition. So moving on to the younger two guys, our first prospect is Josh Wolf, who is 20 years old, and he was a second-round pick back in 2019. He was the Mets' number nine prospect before this trade and slides in the Indians' prospects at number 12. And he's going into his second year of the Arizona Rookie League. Yeah, so Josh Wolf, and just a precursor, both Josh, Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green, they're so young, it's it's hard to, to really make a projection on how they're going to look in the MLB. So we're not, I'm not going to go there. But he is a decent a decent prospect. The Mets system wasn't great, so obviously he slides down. You're saying the Mets number nine prospect sounds a little bit better than what it really truly reflected. But he but he he's shown some some real promise, and I I like this acquisition as far as how how the the future of our our team looks. Just adding to those that massive farm system that we're slowly building. And in, like you said, John, he's shown even in the in his minor league games, he's actually played pretty decently and shown some some real talent. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, acquiring Wolf. He's my second favorite piece in this deal, mostly because 
Cleveland Indians have had tremendous success developing pitchers, whether it's like going back to Corey Kluber or even now like Savale, Plezak, Shane Bieber, like last year's Cy Young winner. We obviously know what we're looking for in pitchers and then are able to get them to perform at a good level in the big leagues. So I think if Josh Wolf isn't just something that was thrown in there and is something that Antonetti and the front office saw as a legit prospect, I, I think he could be pretty good down the road. So it obviously a long time off, but hopefully it pans out. Yeah, like you said, the Indians are just so great at developing pitching, and they're not just developing one mold of a pitcher. They're taking every single guy's personal attributes, their best attributes, and molding them into the best type of pitcher that they can be. Wolf is someone that the Indians can hopefully do that with. I mean, he was hitting 97 at 18, 19 years old, and he has like a funky arm slot, which has, one, been praised for how he can throw pitches, but two, has been kind of not looked down upon, but raised some concern because it could bring up some future health issues. But I don't think the Indians should worry about that. Again, they've been great with just taking these pitchers and really helping them out while staying healthy and while just, I mean, just being durable. The Indians pitchers have always been durable. So I'm, I'm really excited for this prospect. I think he has a lot of upside. He struck out like 13 of the 22 batters that he faced in the rookie league in 2019. But again, he only played five games. And it, there's really just not a huge sample size with him right now. Yeah. Moving on to an, the other prospect that we got, Isaiah Green, 19-year-old. He was also a second-round pick. Um, he was Mets' number 10 prospect, so we got their 9 and 10 back-to-back. He slides down to the Indians' number 16 prospect. And he is also going into his he's going into his first year of the rookie league. He has not played yet. So he's even more of, a, of an unknown than Josh Wolf here. And this it'll be obviously – too early to tell to make any real judgment about the guy but he's certainly shown promises which is why he got that second round draft value yeah so i'm i'm excited about green too i i think he's a pretty good prospect the one thing that worries me like i said just the indians are not good at all at developing young talent especially when it comes to outfielders He's going into his first year. He's not played a lick of professional baseball. But when he was on the elite circuit back in high school, scouts said how he did great against top-notch talent. He's a he's a contact hitter. He has great speed, great range in the outfield. There's a really good fielder. But that's what I feel like the Indians say about all of their outfield prospects when they come into the MLB. You know, they can hit, but they're really good fielders. They're really good in the outfield. And I feel like the last thing that the Indians need is another defensive outfielder that struggles to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, um, based on just kind of like that rough analysis of someone who hits for contact and then has good speed, he sounds a lot like Oscar Mercado. And like I really like Oscar Mercado. If he could return to the form he was in two years ago and hit like 280 with 20 dingers, that's great. But we all saw it last year. He hit like a buck thirty or something. And that's my fear for Isaiah Green. He's obviously really young and has a bunch of time to like develop into more of a contact hitter and a guy who can get on base. And like he scored pretty well in raw power for his prospect tool, forty five fifty five range. But the Indians don't have a great track record with outfielding prospects. So who knows? I feel like this one's a real crapshoot. Yeah, one player comp that I saw is Michael Brantley, 
And, I mean, that's a lot to say and a lot to put up because obviously Brantley has done wonders in the MLB. But Green is someone who, if he can keep that contact, I mean, Michael Brantley has been one of the best contact hitters in the MLB. And if Green can come anything close to that, I think the Indians have done good with this trade. I mean, he has a really good frame. He's 6'1", and like we said, he's 19 years old. So it's it's going to take some time, but we'll see how he grows into his body and just continues to develop in this minor league system. Yes, that's that's pretty much all we have to talk about, unless you guys have anything else you want to add about the trade itself. Obviously a blockbuster. Going Moving kind of towards the Indians' overview, what, what do you guys think? Two things. I'll ask you about the possible name change. Um, and then I also want to talk a little bit about this kind of future outlook. What When do you think the Indians are going to start contending again? I would say a good year would be 2023 to 2024. Now, if the Indians can retain their pitching, especially someone like Shane Bieber, then your window is going to be open whenever you can find some hitting. The thing is, the Indians obviously aren't going to have the hitting, and would someone like Shane Bieber even want to stay in Cleveland if we just keep continually losing? Now, you have these young pitchers like Savale, you have Tristan McKenzie, you have you have Zach Plezak, and then you have great guys in the bullpen like Emmanuel Classe, James Karinczak, the absolute machine, Phil Maton. Now, if you can add in the hitting then that window will open back up. And the Indians have some good prospects coming up in these future years, like Tyler Freeman, Nolan Jones, George Valera, Brian Rocio. So I, I would say it's not going to be a lo- long playoff drought for the Indians, but it's going to be a rough couple of years. Sim- similar to John, I think like 2023, 2024, that's when a lot of those prospects that John mentioned, like – Nolan Jones, some of the other guys, Owen Miller, Arias, that's when they're going to have like one or two years in the MLB under their belt. And if they can like hit their stride and are everything that we think they are, the hitting should be there by then and they should be on pretty cheap contracts, which would then give us the opportunity to sign Bieber, sign Plezak, sign McKenzie, who should all be around like 27 by then, which should be like the prime of their career because. Where are they now, like 24 years old? Yeah, Mackenzie's like 23. Yeah, so I, I don't think it'll be a super long drought, assuming that that minor league talent pans out. But if it doesn't, then I think we're in a real disaster because I think at that point, if we don't have any hitters and we still have our pitching and we can't afford to side, sign them both, we're probably just going to total meltdown and totally scrap everything. Yeah, and if you're scrapping everything three years from now, then that just goes to show you how long that rebuild's going to look like. I did like the point that you brought up, John, and just by, by mentioning the fact that we still do have a very solid pitching staff, and we still do have some guys, you know, Jose Ramirez and, and stuff like that. Like, So to say that the Indians are going to be, you know, complete garbage is probably a little bit harsh. Will I be contending? Likely not, but I, I do think I would agree. I think two to three years, depending on how the prospects pan out, is a good range. I like the continuity that the Indians have as far as the age goes. Like they, like their pitchers, like you said, are all kind of a similar age. They're all young. Um, so they're going to all kind of come up and hit their stride, hopefully at, at similar times. So I, I think that the Indians, ha- while it doesn't look good right now, they do have reasons to be hopeful. 
So moving on to the next thing that you wanted to talk to real quick is the Indians name change. And we wanted to get a little creative here and just talk about possible names that the Indians could, you know, throw out there and use. So Ethan, you want to start? Yeah, I really like the name Cleveland Skippers. So like a skipper is like a little steamboat and they're pretty popular in like the Great Lakes and some of the rivers in the area. And I think I think you could do like a decent logo and that doesn't sound like super corny. Like I hate there's historic like significance to Cleveland Spiders, but I don't no like professional sports team has any business being called the Spiders. That is so bad. Uh, like skippers it's just it doesn't sound like like nobody's intimidated by a skipper, you know what I mean? Like come on. It, it just doesn't really feel like there's one, like, great name here that the Indians should choose and that they will choose. It, it, it's really going to be a wild card with what they throw at us. I've, I've seen Cleveland Buckeyes been thrown around, but I feel like you can't make it the same as, like, Ohio State and uh, as a college. Now, could Paul Dolan make a ton of money off of Cleveland Buckeyes selling merchandise? Yes, and he would probably love that. But, again, it's unoriginal like Guardians. It's unoriginal like Spiders and... I feel like they can come up with something better with this year that they've given themselves to change it. How about like Cleveland uh, Cavaliers? That that is my my ideal <laughs> situation. That that would be good, and I think that's enough blasphemy from us today. Yeah, we'll stop wasting our listeners' time here. I'm glad that we could get on and talk to you, Ethan. I always love talking Indians with you. We don't get to do it enough here at HTSP. Um, so again, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Ethan. It was yeah, a pleasure having for, you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, shout out my boy Kartik. Shout out Josh. Shout out uh, Kai. Got to hit those shout outs real quick while I'm on HTSP. Y'all know that. No, we put a time slot for you to do that. We we know you're going to get those shout outs in. And Jack, it was a pleasure recording with you also. Always, always. And we will catch you next time, our friends. Stay hot. Peace. And thanks to you guys if you made it this far listening to the Hottest Take Sports Podcast. Today's intro beat was made by Black Lions Beats on YouTube. We'll have a link to it in the description. Make sure you all go give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Hottest underscore Take Pod. Also, thank you to Ethan for taking his time to come on the show today. It's always a pleasure recording with you, bro. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to stay updated with our show. Also, make sure you rate the show and leave some feedback. Thanks again, y'all, and see you next time.